just before you came in the room, we were talking, I said, it's an Irish name. And I went to my lineage about my grandfather coming from Ireland to Chicago and worked as a Chicago cop for a long time. So, Well, speaking of being Irish. Yes. And you can take offense to this if you want. We do all have a beer right now. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we do. It's very Irish. Yes, that's a very Irish thing. You know where the second best place to get great content about manufacturing besides making chips? I don't know. You tell me. The Pro Shop Video Library. Oh yeah? What's there? Well, they've got great videos about how to more efficiently run your shop. They talk about quality audits, revenue growth, improving on-time delivery, and much more. So it's not just how to use the software. We use that as a resource all the time. You to guys? Help and- to help enhance the product knowledge about ProShop. If you're not really certain about one particular way one of the modules work, that is a great resource for you to go to at any time of day to figure it out. Can I tell you how to get there? Yeah. Go to ProShopERP.com and there's a little icon at the top where you click Video Library. Welcome to Making Chips. I'm your host, Nick Goldner. I'm here with Jim Carr and a guest with an awesome story. Yeah, we are. Let's kick this off, shall we? Let's do it. It's the afternoon. We're already feeling a little good. I'm ready for some music. You ready? You ready? I can do that. Let's go. If the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metal Working Nation. This is Making Chips, where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, Production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts. Let's make some chips. Jim, what is wrong with Chicagoland, man? It's either hotter than the desert or colder than yes it has been a very conflicting summer in chicago this year it's conflicting all the time some people say oh i love this area there's four seasons there's like two extreme awful seasons summer can be super hot unbearably hot winter last year they were saying it was colder than antarctica and rockford is that right yeah i did not hear that there was a day where it was like all over the news colder than let me ask you this would you move if you could if i could yeah but i can't i know the family business is here i have Three, four hundred employees. Would your like wife that. move? Would oh, your yeah. wife leave, leave her family? In a minute. But her family business is... I here. know. So she'd never she'd yeah. never go, right? So we have to travel. We have to enjoy our vacations. Yeah. Speaking of travel, speaking of moving things around, right? Reshoring. Do you know what that is? I do. Do you want me to define it officially? Yeah. You know how I am with definitions, yeah, right? Yeah. We're going to give official definitions of reshoring an FDI, foreign direct investment. I do not know what foreign FDI is. Yeah, foreign direct, direct investment. investment. Yeah. Mm. So we're going to talk about those two things, and then there was a report that came out, oh. and that's my manufacturing news. I don't know anything about this. So get ready. Well, reshoring is kind of like nearshoring. So yeah, it's also known as onshoring. Yes, okay. So nearshoring would be like if we brought things back to Canada, Mexico, areas close. They said after the pandemic that that was the big initiative with OEMs because they need redundancy in their supply chain. Hey, that's what my news is about. So I did not even read it. So it's nearshoring, also known as onshoring, is the opposite of offshoring, of course. course. It involves the returning of the production and manufacturing of goods to the company's original country. So like, let's say you were outsourcing production to... Taiwan or okay. Vietnam or something like that. Okay. And then you made a decision to bring it back to the States. That would be reshoring. Okay. You're taking it 
back to your shore. Reshoring can help strengthen the like economy a- by creating manufacturing jobs, reducing unemployment, and balancing trade deficits. So that's the definition of reshoring. Yes. Got it. Okay. Thank now, you. Foreign direct investment. Yeah. This is completely foreign to me. Oh, foreign to you. Yeah. So, all right. Foreign direct investment is made when a business takes controlling ownership in a company, sector, individual, or entity in another country. For my visual mind, can you explain that? Like, give me a, for instance. Let's say you wanted to start car, machine, and tool Europe. Okay. In Germany? Yeah. And the best way for you to do that would be to make an investment in Germany. I like that you picked Germany, by the way. Mm-hmm. That's a great country. I got to say. It is. It is a great I country. I got to say. So, so you would go make an investment in Germany, and that would be a foreign direct well, investment. Just any kind of investment? Would it be... A company, a sector, oh, an individual, okay. or an entity. So oftentimes, it's like the first thing that comes to mind is like Schunk. Schunk, my partner in work holding. They're headquartered in Europe, but they have an intact in North America. Okay, got it. They have a company okay. in North America. So go to another country and start a business. It's not take $5 million and dump it in a bank there. No, it's actually start a business. So the rest of the definition is through FDI, foreign companies are directly involved with day-to-day tasks from the other country, resulting in a transfer of money, knowledge, skills, and technology. Got it. 100%. So my news. My news is about the Reshoring Initiative's 2021 data report. It just came out recently. And so for the second year in a row, Reshoring exceeded foreign direct investment job announcements by 100%. Oh, that's awesome. So we are bringing work back. Yeah, we're sending it over. Or more than other people are deciding to start plants here. So I'll just quickly read a couple of things. So the Reshoring Initiative's 2021 data report discusses reshoring and how the trend will continue to be a key to U.S. manufacturing and economic recovery. In 2021, the private and federal push for domestic supply of essential goods propelled reshoring and foreign direct investment job announcements to a record of 261,000, bringing the total jobs announced since 2010 to over 1.3 million. For the second year in a row, reshoring exceeded FDI by 100%. Beautiful. In contrast to 2014 through 2019, when FDI exceeded reshoring, Interesting. additionally, the number of companies reporting reshoring and FDI set a new record of over 1,800 Oh, wow. So both of them are increasing. Foreign direct investment in the United States and reshoring American companies bringing their work back is increasing. So it's all good news for manufacturers. It's a win-win. Yeah. So according to the report, the year-over-year increase is due almost exclusively to companies filling supply chain gaps of essential products, including electric batteries, semiconductors, PPE, pharmaceuticals, rare earths. So our guest today is very involved with rare earths and renewable energy. The computer and electronics industry has seen the largest jump in percentage of jobs. Semiconductors. Exactly. That's why we have to have it here. Yeah. And the report says it's due to, like you said, semiconductor and chip investment. Yeah. Reshoring from Asia is about 10 times that from Western Europe, and Texas led the other states in jobs announced, followed by Tennessee. Interesting. Interesting. The report suggests that preliminary data indicates a continuing surge of reshoring and foreign direct investment in 2022, which I think is what we're seeing. So it's good news for us. And I have a guest who can probably touch on that a little bit because he's involved in the rare earth. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to talking to him. Have you ever heard of a rare earth magnet? Yes, I have. We used to do work for magnetic technologies. Really? Okay. So, uh, well, actually, we still do, as a matter of fact. They invest anything that's got to do with rare earth products in the medical industry. Okay. So, 
Yeah, we've been a customer of theirs since 2004. We don't do as much as we could, but we're still a player in the field. Our guest will tell us a lot about rare earth and magnetics. Yeah, interesting. So I'll introduce him. Our guest is a manufacturer, inventor, and welder who has had the privilege of serving as the president of Storch Products and Aerotrust LLC from Livonia, Michigan, right, right near Detroit. In these roles, he works with a group of extremely talented and dedicated professionals who serve well over 1,000 customers annually, and it's all related to magnetic products. So welcome to the show, Matt Carr, spelled the exact same way as Jim Carr, no relation. Welcome, Matt. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. Honestly, Nick, it's actually quite common name, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it's not quite Smith, but it's close now. Yeah, right? it's, it's not it's quite Smith, common. but it's definitely <laughs> close. Have we I ever hear... had another car that wasn't your son, Ryan, on the podcast? I don't think so. Yeah. 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 I've seen the wine. The car, car wine. Yeah. yeah, car wine is awesome out of Santa Barbara. But um, no, it's, it's a common name. And just before you came in the room, we were talking, I said, it's an Irish name. And I went through my lineage about my grandfather coming from Ireland to Chicago and worked as a Chicago cop for a long time. So, Well, speaking of being Irish. Yes. And you can take offense to this if you want. We do all have a beer right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. It's very Irish. Yes, that's a very Irish thing. So I had to bring Matt on because Matt's a partner to us. So at Hennig, we make chip conveyors. Yeah. We work with Storch Magnetics on magnetic chip conveyors. Right. So a Ferris application. I'd love for Matt to explain that in a little bit more detail about the logistics of how that works. Yeah. How a magnetic conveyor works, how our partnership works. He could talk about that. But the reason why I brought him on wasn't to talk about our products or anything oh, like that. Okay. It's that after seeing hundreds of shops, you know, I'm on the road all the time, right? Yes. Talking to people who run shops or sell machines to shops. He is the only person I've ever met who told me he has no problem finding and hiring skilled tradespeople. Interesting. The only person. So let me ask you, I want to start at the beginning before that whole story you told me about how you solved that problem, but we're going to get to it. So first... Let's get your origin story. Way before you solved that talent gap, tell us how you got into the industry. Straight out of high school. I had a great passion for architecture in high school. I took the vocational block. I had every ambition to be an architect coming out of school in like 96 in the high school. Problem was, so did a lot of other folks. And CAD Key had started my freshman year and by my senior year, release 12, R12 of AutoCAD had really gotten traction. So what is CAD Key? What is this? So CAD Key was pre-AutoCAD. Is it the same company or is that I just... don't know now. It's been a little while, right? Yeah. But it was a tablet and it had like an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper that slid underneath a piece of clear plastic. And that was your little click icons, if you that would, was so that you could navigate it. That was the prerequisite to AutoCAD. Oh, you're kidding. That's, that's where it started. So <laughs> okay. I'm on a draftsman board. That's something our instructor made sure that we did and understood. And you could draw on vellum and mylar and, and had a great appreciation for the traditional way of drafting. But I wanted to be an architect and Immediately, I was involved with the local community college, and a student that was a fellow student there had just gotten this job at a magnet company near where I live, and said, hey, you should come out and apply. I did. He had gotten the last job for a detailer position, and I got offered an opportunity to, before I got into engineering, work on the plant floor. And the goal was to learn every operation, right? Mm -hmm. The laser, the press brake, welding, machining. And just have a great appreciation how things come together, right? Fundamental so often, machining, the fundamentals of the industry, right? So you right? did all that because you're more fabrications than machining, would you say, in terms of your shop? More fabrication, absolutely. That's my background. You did fab stuff, you did welding, you did lasers, press breaks, you did some machining too? 
Absolutely. Wow. I mean, when you have an opportunity to see how something comes together, it's coming out, it's details, it's laser cut, press broke, and then it's got to be welded to like a 3A dairy finish where it's polished with no cracks, pits, and crevices in the welds, ultimately. How you approach that, you may not have the tungsten at full length. You may have to have a real short back on the tungsten, or you may do the split, not in a corner. You want to have that around press break so you can just leave it alone and metal finish it and then run it on a linear surface that's easier to get to for sanding and polishing. So when you have that background, you start to design things differently right from jump. Totally. It was a, an experience looking back that, that changed my entire career, quite frankly. You know, that's something my brother says all the time. He makes the new engineers that we hire go build the products Work on, on the, the shop floor. Because yeah. you'll design things differently when you know how to make them. Yep, absolutely. I agree. That's great. So that was back in 96, you started in the magnetic industry. On the plant floor. On yep. the plant floor. Okay. Very interesting. So keep telling us your story through that point till where you're at right now. As quick as I can, once I got into engineering, I found that I didn't like it. And while I was going to school for architecture and the jobs had dried up, I didn't like it because now there wasn't a tangible product at the end of my day's labor. It was just drawings. Sure. And it oh, didn't you didn't have that physical oh, piece. Yeah, you're making something out of like stainless steel and it's polished, like I just said, to a food grade finish and it's shiny. Yeah, you like, can tell by how you describe it that you're passionate. Yeah, I had such a great appreciation for that. So I immediately had the opportunity to do more R&D based type work. And as unique special projects came up to the forefront, I could draw it. I could send it out. I could help it through the manufacturing process in quick order and then do testing and provide reports, which got me in front of customers and providing lab data. And that expanded into a sales role. And I remember being offered an opportunity to go out and sell and I almost quit. I associated oh. sales with like the Kirby vacuum guy, right? Yes. <laughs> no, I'm like, oh, God. no offense to Kirby. It's good vacuum. From but, that guy. Know, he was but, so good at it. It's yeah. hilarious. But I didn't want to be a salesperson. <laughs> oh. Like I just wanted to fab and I wanted to have, I love the R and D role. Had a gift of gab, I guess. And with no sales training, I got thrown out into Detroit, Michigan with a magnetic broom that we had designed. And I uh, got handed the uh, Michigan Manufacturers Directory back then. It was a real oh, thick God. blue book. I'll never forget. <laughs> yeah, sure. So the owner pulls me in, he hands me this directory, and he says, next Monday, you need to be where you can sell that broom. You can't sell anything else. And good luck. Figure it out. You got some reading to do this weekend. So I went and bought a suit. On Stevenson Highway was the largest concentration of machine shops that I could find in this directory. And I parked my car and just got bloody nose after bloody nose after bloody nose. Because you got beat up so bad. Yeah, I mean, it's a ruthless town, right? Like, no one has time to let someone in for a magnetic sweeper. I just want to know what this magnetic broom did. So I'm thinking about if you came into my shop with well, this magnetic aluminum, broom. So he would, he would and kicked out. Yeah. <laughs> what the heck are you trying to sell me, Matt? Right. It was a broom that we had designed that was a lighter duty and less costly option to the big traditional magnetic sweepers that you have in the, the plants. So if you get running Ferris chips. What is a magnetic sweeper? If you run Ferris Okay. Chips. See, he's all aluminum. This is no, okay. I'm not. I'm, I'm mostly, Ferris, right? the carbon, low carbon, 300 well, series if, stainless, 400 series stainless. But you're mostly aluminum, right? Uh, it depends yeah. on the workload that week. Folks that are heavy ferrous, heavy carbon, yeah. run magnetic sweepers. It gets all the little filings up out of the cracks, cleans the floors really quick, okay? So sucks them up off the ground into the magnet. At that time, automotive was heavy steel, right? We're heavy well, steel chassis. Especially in Detroit. Where, where metal shock towers in Detroit. I mean, that's, that's, yeah. that's where metal comes from, that's cast right. iron. So it was an ideal product. However, people just didn't have time to, to really entertain that. And after about a week or so, and I was told not to sell anything else, the guy recognized my shirt. And he says, you guys do magnetic conveyors. I said, yes, we do. And he says, come on back. I need another one. And he was asking me about what's inside of them. And I had built these for maybe a year and a half in the well department. And I was able to talk. I still know the components because I had to fulfill bill of materials 
I knew the bearings. I knew the one inch diameter. You probably knew the part numbers. Yeah, TGP shaft <laughs> and how the bearings went on. And I'm like, if you wanted to shorten it, I guess we could cut it in half and do it right now. So modifications were an option and just, it wasn't a sales pitch, right? No, you were just, just talking about what you knew. Yeah. Yeah. And a listen more. And yeah, best part of sales, right? Ask questions, didn't have all the answers and it worked wonderfully. For so quite, if, quite if I were recruiting a salesperson and he says like, look, I'm really not much of a sales guy. I just want to solve problems in the shop. I would be like, that's exactly who I want. Yeah, you're right. The more you seem like a sales guy, yep. the less people want to talk to you. You're absolutely right. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Okay. So you got your start into sales. And what year are you now with the company? Probably year four and a half, five. Okay. So four and a half, five years, they, you're, they threw you out in the streets. Mm -hmm. And tell me what happened when you came back and told your boss about that guy who said, hey, I need another chip conveyor. Well, he was wondering what took so long. You know, that was, <laughs> that, that's a short version of it. You know, it was a big, But he uh, told you don't sell it. Yeah, he said, you can't it. sell it. That's all you can sell is this magnetic broom. And then I came back and there was finally a chip conveyor and we ended up getting a sell and he wanted to know what the heck took so long. Oh, that's just great. It's a great experience looking back. It was a great upbringing. It was a wonderful way to learn the industry and to really just get introduced to fabrication and have an appreciation for it. Yeah, that's awesome. Very cool. So to answer your question from before, so... When we need magnetic chip conveyors, we're working with storage. And, you know, yeah. Hag sells magnetic chip conveyors here and there. It's not most of what we do, but there's definitely a time and a place where people need one. And we are in the position to solve chip management and coolant filtration problems. So we don't want to not have something that they need. And sometimes working with Matt is the ideal solution for us. Can I ask you real quick? I know this is not part of your uh, show yeah. structure, but... Who cares? Why would... A company like mine who cuts ferrous metals. Sure. Yeah. Often. So more uh, often than I thought, huh? I would say at least 30% of the time. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah that is more than I thought. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to do more aluminum, but we're a contract precision job shop. So we do everything. Sure. Why do I need a magnetic chip conveyor? And what are the advantages of that over a conventional chip conveyor? If you're going to use your machine for dual purpose, it's really out. If you've got a dedicated machining center where you're running that ferrous component, I don't think you really can beat it. The magnetic technology, if you haven't seen it before, the listeners don't know what it is. If you've ever had a piece of metal, like a paperclip on top of a table, yes. and you had a magnet underneath, and yes. you move the magnet, and then yes. all of a sudden the paperclip starts chasing the magnet. It doesn't push it, it chases it. This is an opportunity for you to extract, I mean, well below 100 micron consistently, down to even 5 to 10 micron range, with the opportunity using magnets to get all of those real fine particulates out before even secondary filtration, right? Yeah, right. Like a bag filter. So it works great. And because everything's enclosed, there's no pinch points. There's nothing to jam. The belt, there's like a sheet of metal. It doesn't move. Underneath that sheet of metal, there's a belt with magnets. So it slides the ferrous material I get it. Out. I get it. I yep. get it. Whereas Interesting. Like the conveyors you're familiar with are literal like hinge belts, like what yeah. we're making, or, or scraper belts that scrape yeah. from the bottom. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. So, no, it's okay. And every conveyor's got now. a space. It's just, you have to be in a dedicated piece and whether you're doing machining or it's metal stamping. So it would be irrelevant if we were running non-ferrous in that machine, right? I think so. You're not going to swap yeah. your conveyor back and forth. Because it's not going to do nothing for... Aluminum. Right. Yeah. It's just going to sit there okay. and... Thank you. Yeah. Yep. So, but if it's totally ferrous, then you yeah. might have a good... Fit. But we're not talking about magnets. We're talking about people. We're talking about totally. humans. We're All talking right. about culture. Are you guys ready for IMTS? Nick, I am stoked. And I just got back from California, so I really wanted to use that word. There you go. I like it. That's yeah. rad. I am, for sure. I can't wait. Okay, so how prepared are you? Do you know what's where in this big McCormick place? I don't. Why don't you help me out with it, Nick? All right, I'll take the first three. 
So the first three, additive manufacturing, that's in the West building. Abrasive machining and sawing, that's in the North building. Controls and CAD CAM, that's in the East building. Yep. And then fabricating and lasers are in the North building. Gear generation is also in the North building. And machine components, cleaning and environmental, East. Yeah. And the last three are my favorites. Metal removal is in the South building. Quality assurance is in the East building. And finally, where I spend most of my time, the tooling and work holding is in the West building. You bet. Awesome. Don't forget to download the app to find out where all these at. There's a map in there. IMTS.com is also another great place to start. Register now. And you can plan your whole show right from the app. So here's why I brought him on the show. I want you to just start, tell the exact same story. I know I've already heard it, but I had to bring you on. So tell the story of how you solved the skills gap at your, your company. And if I can, we're all having this issue. Sure, right. Totally. And we haven't solved it for the front office. So we're not perfect. But what I found in manufacturing, and you can tell I'm passionate about welding and building things. Yeah, Maybe you can it's tell a that fluke that I got seconds. an opportunity to become a president of a company because we approach it a little bit differently. We're approaching it, trying to find the people that where I exactly came from and where my passion lies. So here's what we did. I had a hard run going into COVID, just like all of you, right? And the next door neighbor comes over and she says, Matt, I want you to get involved with this weld pack which is an advisory council for this local for-profit school. That's what they call the council is the weld pack? Yep. Okay. And every school's got a pack, what I found out, whether it's for-profit or whether it's even a high school, there could be a parent's advisory council. So anyways, I blew her off. I just blew her off. I'm too busy. Didn't right? even answer. Just, yeah, well, there's too much going on. We're trying to navigate COVID and things of that sort, and I missed an opportunity. And then another one came up, and she was persistent, and she says, please, you've got to get involved. And I was telling Nick, I'm like, I'm going to be honest, I was always so worried about my career and about the company and the trajectory of the growth plans that we're always jockeying for an angle, right? How are we going to make money? How are we going to hit that five-year goal? And we're worried about what's in it for us. And I don't know what happened, but for the first time, I said, you know what? I'm going to go do this. I'll go listen. I really got prepared were you, for Were it. you not a typical networking kind of guy to begin with? Well, I've sold. I mean, I think I'm a networking guy. But well, I, no. I mean, networking definitely is a thing. And it was definitely a thing before COVID, right? Sure. You'd show up at networking events by a, an association or an alliance or whatever, and you'd meet like-minded people. And then you sell or you don't sell or you just become beer buddies. But here's what happened. Networking disappeared because yes. there's a huge shortage. And if you back up one quick second, I was involved with the Michigan Manufacturers Association. We heard there's a 400,000 shortage of welders by 2024. Wow. So at the same time that I'm hearing that, she comes back over. She's like, you got to get involved. I sit in. We go through this whole meeting, right? And they've got a campus in Houston, Texas, and there's one in Canton, Michigan. And long story short, they're talking about all this pipe welding that's going on in Michigan. And they could be focused more on that, I'm thinking, in Houston, Texas, because that's probably regionally where more of those jobs are at. Right, right. For in my whole and, yeah. passion's fabrication. And I'm like, the school's like nine months long, five hours a day, five days a week commitment for these students to take this program. They don't learn anything about fabrication. So I said- They learn how to move to Texas. <laughs> yeah. I said, why don't we try something different? Why don't we consider like an introduction to fab, right? Sure. We're going to- Show students the difference of a laser cut part edge finish versus plasma versus water jet versus yeah. sheared versus cut with a metabo and a rotor. Yeah, absolutely. Router, sure. If they have an understanding of what that edge finish is, they have an idea how much time went into that part before it came to their table. And it helps them with how they're going to fixture it. Is this something I just need to weld real quick because there's a pile of 500 behind of it? Or is this a one-off and I really need to do my due diligence by tacking it up and then welding it all together? Mm -hmm. So I mentioned that. And I said, if you take it serious, Storch will donate a press break. Like we want to see 
more metal fab in Canton, Michigan. And that was the end of that first piece. So a few months later, I get invited to come back down to the school and I get taken upstairs to this area that overlooks about, I don't know, 120,000 square feet. There's major classrooms with huge OEs. Okay. Huge what? Well, these are companies like uh, Spirit Airlines and Detroit Edison. Okay. okay? And Cummins, diesel generation. Yeah. Right. And then there's an empty classroom and they tell me, Matt, this is yours. We want you to stay involved with the program, and it's a new program there. We want you to help push this program and help continue to advise. There's no snags. There's no conditions. Well, you were like, well, I don't want to pay for this classroom. I'm thinking there's no way. I don't want to be puff my chest up. Storage isn't large enough to be paying for a room like that, right? Okay, right. We're not an instructor, but we have had a chance to upfit a room with all of our logos, all of our branding, and our story. Because they didn't want them to pay for the room. Well, right. That's what I'm assuming. They wanted you to just be an instructor Just be involved with advising the program, right? Yes. You're right about the gift of gab because you go in and you talk about how it needs to be more fabrication oriented and then they just say, here, here's a brand new room. So here's what's neat. This wasn't the first time we tried it, right? I tried with, and what I want to try to maybe inspire some of the audience to do, there's a lot of opportunities at local schools, but the curriculum is mandated by the state we're finding in many cases. And being able to change those curriculums This is where the whole system breaks down. Because they don't understand. They don't know. The people that are setting the curriculum don't even understand what we do or you do or whatever, right? And it takes so long. I'll give you one, for instance, again, with Michigan Manufacturers Association. I met a lady that's a legislator in Michigan from the west side of the state for the last 10 years of her career in Lansing, Michigan. She's tried to just get one elective hour to be able to be switched on a senior year from a potential gym class or an art class to an elective like an ISO training or an OSHA training. And it's taken 10 years and it still hasn't passed through multiple legislatures. So when you look at it like that, it's frustrating as an employer. We can't wait for that. 10 years? I mean, I just gave you a 24 date and I don't care if the date is half, if it's 200,000 shortage on welding, it's too many, right? It's too many. That's just one skill set. So in skilled trades. So I'm looking at that. We're kind of panicking. And then I'm realizing all the way through this whole process, there's a couple other things we stopped doing. We stopped talking internally. I made sure my management team stopped talking down about millennials. Stopped labeling people. None of us want that. Just stop. Totally. Just stop that. These entitled kids that play video games all day. No, they're brilliant. They're brilliant. The difference is, is that, and why this program's worked is that passion's one thing, for me, but you have to bring the passion out of every single one of your employees somehow. That's tough. It is tough. That's and tough. It can, and it's like, tough. I am a millennial, but it can be tough with a millennial because it's different. You got to take a hard look at your product mix. Okay. There's about 70 pages. This story my ears are forever. wide open. You've okay? got my attention. So take a look at the product mix, your bread and butter, the stuff you're making money on. You got to keep it. I'm not unrealistic. You got to do that. But you have to have some purpose, some reason, some level of excitement. Here's how I've attracted some talent out of the school. I had a young lady that I interviewed, and I recently found out that it was between Storch and one other company that was making like enclosures for school bus stops. And I said, why did you choose us? She said, well, the facility is really clean and it's well lit. And I liked the conveyors. And then she heard about another product, the Supermag, that pulls all the metal debris up at the shoulder of the highways just recently in a 90-day interview check with her. She wants to be part of that so bad from the environmental and safety standpoint that it might save lives and it's going to save the environment. She's in. 
she's so excited and she's got a purpose there. So it's, that was the word. That was the, the purpose. It's a purpose. Totally. It's, a it's purpose. just it. It's finding purpose. All right. So millennials are very much purpose driven. Totally. People. And it's not just uh, get some money so you can buy a house and then buy another house and have equity and things. No, like that. no, no. It's purpose. It's all of that. But yes. the grind is it's other generations. It's some of ours and both ways from that. Right. Sure. We've got to just stop that conversation and realize there's going to be different things that motivate all of us. Right. And just kind of open up opportunities for some of that to flow. It's worked pretty well. So we've stayed involved with the school. And I can tell you, if you want to get involved with the school, look for someone that's got a, a pack and advisory board. Just ask. I was just there yesterday and I said, what, you know, I'm coming over here today. I'm going to talk about it. We've got a chance to talk to a large audience nationally. What are we looking for? What do we want? And it's just involvement. And you know what it really is too? It's not the skills. See, you're going to teach them how to weld your way. Mm-hmm. Jim, you're going to teach them how to run your machining center. But you know what we want? We want someone that's going to show up on time. Yep. Someone that's going to be interested in the craft that's and a has deal. a plan to be there for quite some time so that you can really invest into them and turn them into somebody that's a profit center and give them a career in return, right? Okay. I'm crafting questions in my head already. So I just think that what they specifically ask is this, show up, show up and come and talk to the class, maybe monthly. So on this nine month program, I committed yesterday that I'm going to show up once a month and we're going to talk about what's important. We're going to do mock interviews because a lot of younger folks have been so used to tech, their text messaging. They haven't had that. They don't have the soft skills. Yeah, but it's developable. You know, it's developable. Yeah, but now you got to sit across the table from someone who's an authority, who's probably intimidating, and you got to be able to think on your feet and answer questions, and you can't just text them when you feel like it. So we haven't done it yet, but we've got a plan to sit down in a classroom and do mock interviews. With everyone present. That's great. That's and re- just go through everyone it, present right? thing is huge because yeah. then they get over that fear of speaking in public. They do. I think if you could make it through that, you'll make it through an interview at car. your company, a car yeah, machine there. If you make there. practice the hardest thing you do, then the game is easy, right? Yeah. yeah. So. so get involved, go in there, tell them what you're looking for, encourage them that, look, if you do this, this is what a program looks like. And then they've got to commit and they've got to come on. You got to be there on time. That's awesome. That's 90% of it, right? You just want someone that's going to show up every day. You want to be excited they came. You wanted to be... Welding, machining, really... Doesn't matter the trade, Any trade, yeah. Any trade. Yeah, wow. So another thing we talked about... See, I connect with this guy, Jim. Yeah. And another thing we talked about was EOS. So we talk about EOS. Entrepreneurial operating system. Yeah, the entrepreneurial operating system. You use elements of it at CAR. I do. We use elements at AME and Hennig. And you've started... So tell us like the EOS story at Storage. You've read Traction. I read traction, but I wasn't ready for it yet. It took me getting to a level of frustration. Like I don't quit anything, but I was at a breaking point personally right around the beginning of the year. And I had a couple advisory sessions with our board. And I said, look, you know, we've got 70 product lines. It's hard to find engineers. We've had a lot of turnover from staff. Being around 70 years is fantastic. In hindsight, hiring a bunch of staff that all hit like a 30-year tenure, 35-year tenure, and then retired within a couple years of each other, created a vacuum. Oh, yeah. That was unbearable. We're feeling and that. And then, so you had a vacuum, and I'm able to reflect on it a little bit better now. I don't feel so bad for myself, but you got that vacuum that you're dealing with, and then you throw COVID in the mix, right? No good. Trying to navigate that, yep. right? No one's got a playbook for I always for it, talk so. about, like, at our company, we have a bunch of people who are retiring in the next few years, and then we've got this gap. I'm, like, the oldest of the younger guys, and I'm 34. So there's this gap between, like, 34 and... 50, where there's not a lot of employees in that age group. There's some, but there's not enough. And then me and then we are starting to bring in a lot of youth. 
But that gap, that's significant. You lose a lot of that tribal knowledge. There's some real benefits to the younger generation because they think differently. They have a higher digital quotient. But gosh, there's just some things that you can only learn from experience, you know? I totally agree. Yeah, and rubbing shoulders too, right? Right. It's one thing to write process of procedures, and I believe in them, and have them recorded properly. But it's a whole other thing to be working lockstep with someone that you respect and that's teaching you the craft than trying to learn it out of a book, right? From process of procedures. So you got to get ahead of it. We've gotten through that EOS to answer your question. So yeah, yeah, back to yeah, EOS. you're in a kind of yeah. a spot where it's like, what are we doing? How are we going to? We're growing. It's frustrated. Most days it feels like you're pushing rope. We had a new board member. He just says one thing. He says, "Have you read EOS?" I said, "No." And he says, "I'm going to send one to you. Just read it." That was it. That was the end of the conversation. But it came at the right time. Finally. Yeah, that, I, that's just timing, right? Matt, I totally get it. I totally get it. I didn't start practicing EOS until like three or four years ago. And here's the thing. Jason and I are recording these podcasts with all these people, and they're sharing these success stories of how when they implemented culture and this entrepreneurial operating system into their business, and they're saying, yeah, we had all this success, and I'm listening, and I'm not doing it. Finally, I said, you know what? Enough's enough. I'm going to do it. And I did. And it changed our business. Right. And I'm sure that's the same story with you. It is. You know, it's humbling, right? It so is you've very a, humbling. You've had, a, you've had a great track record. Yes. Things work great. Everybody just knew what to do. You didn't have to put half the information on a print when you had people that have been with you 30 years. <laughs> they just finished and <laughs> exactly. said, save the time. I'm not even going to read it. I know, right? Yeah, totally. So making that transition took a level of frustration where I just had a self reflect I'm like, I got to do something. And so I read this book. I had COVID ironically. So oh, no. two weeks to just sit you down, read this book. I had time and I really <laughs> took it to heart. You know what I got out of it? I've had professional training one-on-one with a gentleman that I respect on this management by result program. I've sat with Sandler. We did a full year with Sandler. I've had the process that in my first section of my career of 10 years, where I started in magnets, learned a lot from the gentleman that run the company. And then to your non-compete, some there and something else. And what you get is you get this huge custom mixture of ways to run a business. But you know what I didn't do? I didn't write down all the processes and they couldn't extract the day-to-day fire out of my head, all of our staff, mm-hmm. right? There was no playbook. You know what EOS is? It's a playbook that we bought for every single yeah, employee. There's really not we committed anything that's it. that new. They just no. collect all the best stuff and put it into like a system that pretty much any company can use. And that's just it. People are people. We all have the same problems. All right. Businesses are businesses. You'll read traction, right? And I forget, it's an accounting firm or something like that. And I knew then, I'm like, well, I'm a visionary. At least broke that out a couple years prior and then I need an implementer. So I found a fantastic implementer and she she makes it happen behind the scenes. But this needed me to say, we're going to try something different. Okay. Ownership said, that's what you want to do. That's fine. And it's consistent. And it is consistent. You had to make sure it's consistent though. Now I'm only, I think 13 level 10 meetings in. Okay. 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 But you're still doing them weekly? Every week on Monday at 10 o'clock. That was a big thing for me too, because something comes up, it's super important. I got a chance to close some Whopper sale. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to go help in the field. No, that's blocked out. This is the first time I'm going to admit in a 25 year career where it's like every single Monday at 10 o'clock, they know where I'm at. And those folks that were waiting on questions or just needed to be heard, the culture shifted so drastically internally on just having that, I guess. And then we doubled down. And for the first time in 70 years, we put together a profit sharing program that paid out in the first quarter. It's awesome. Let's get my hair standing on my arms because I don't know where it's going, but I like it. Yeah. I I I really, really like it. And I'm having conversations with staff 
that I've never had before. They're also the ones that are interviewing the candidates from the school, and I'm hearing them tell their story and getting these folks excited. And for the first time, those efforts are multiplying. And I've never had that in all these years. So So instead of you trying to push five different carts up a hill and then you let go of one and it comes back down or whatever, now you've got the whole team working on that with you. They are. You know, there's that little diagram. I forget what page it's on, but if everyone just rode in the same direction, right? Right. We just looked at that. And everyone said, you know what? We're all rowing in the same direction. And and one of our guys, our senior guy said, we're not all going the same speed yet, but you're right. For the first time we are heading in the same direction. So we'll see where it goes. Okay. So you witnessed this mass retirement, this vacuum, this suction that's pulling out all these retirement aged or near retirement aged people, these skilled people that didn't need a blueprint to make the parts. So that's a problem. What did you do to solve the problem? How are you backfilling these tribal knowledge, skilled manufacturing people? It's tough. Okay. It's really tough. But to be honest, maybe one of the hardest positions I have right now to get going is engineering. So I made a pretty radical call, talked to the owner, and I said, I'm going to eliminate all but two of the mainstay products that we manufacture in this building. And family, oh, so family all those business, product line. Family business, 70 years. And the answer is like, What? This was the secret sauce that kept us running all these years. But then I looked at them and you run by data and you say, you know, we only build that chip coolant separator <laughs> once a year of that size, right? The volume's not there. No, it's right. a mo- you, you, you don't find- even realize that you're probably losing money on it. Well, we knew. Yeah, yeah. I knew. Yeah. You know? After the data came. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. After the data came in, it was a break even. There's a risk there that's just not worth taking. And right. Conveyor sales are fantastic. Yep. We're fighting to keep up. So right. we just restructured you. And you know, the only thing that's neat is that if you, from Sandler, having that 30 second commercial, if you would, knowing what it is, getting everybody rowing, working together is one thing, getting them telling the story of what it is you do inside your company is most important, right? right? And if what you're do doing you do, it's be short. things, you can't keep it to You can't, it gets watered down, no one wants to listen to that. Totally. You know, so. We've been doing a lot of that too. Shrink it up, find out what you're really good at, own it. We're going to make it right, Jim, to answer your question. We're really doing a good job with engineering on the two product lines we have. And if the volume so, comes back. Yep then we'll pick the other ones up. But we're staying in a new wheelhouse and we're getting stronger and growing faster than we ever on did two prior product lines. on two product lines. Versus how many? There was about 70 different pages oh my of God. stuff. Oh my God. And so much of it went overseas and you're competing on low margins. And yeah. part of the passion of building things, the trophy jobs now are, let's see how big we can build it. Let's it's, see how much scrap we can really move and process. It just goes to tell you that the old cliche, it's there's riches in the niches. That's obviously what you're doing, right? Yeah. Well, hard lessons, right? So first company I worked for, I watched the gentleman spin off with one idea that a few of us had helped develop, did his own thing, grew it to a multi-million dollar business in a few years. And I said, well, wait a second, we've only sold a few hundred thousand because we're worried about litigation of whether he should have been able to do that or not. And we got too many other things that we're focused on. And so in hindsight, it was a great lesson and Mm -hmm. scaling it back took a long time to get there, but I'm sold. This is where it's at right now. Yeah. I was just talking, we have a mutual friend, Jim Michael Gons from Shank. Yeah, he's a great guy. And he says, because we had dinner the other day and he says, you know, you've got all these people whose job is to create things in your business. There's not enough people whose job is to kill things off that you don't need to be doing. Yep. And it's so true. And you just, it's so true. Example of that, man. That's so tough. Because when you have pride and you're proud of making those things. Trust me. I mean, I love making a 900 gallon a minute twin roller chip coolant separator that goes into a massive it, manufacturer of diesel engines. Yeah, but, yeah, that is cool. But 
it's uh, it's not profitable. It's though. not profitable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. And it's tough to actually make the change. It's tough to say we've got to kill it. We've got to make change. We got to do something different. When you can finally say that, do that, and act on it, that's when it's really powerful. You know what I mean? I do. Just yesterday, gentleman that's been with us 40 years comes over and he says, Matt, I want to do this can handling job. It's for a water bath system. So where they're doing aerosol cans, they, they test for leaks. And magnetically, it hold it down to a belt and it go underwater where there's lights and they're inspecting for leaks. It's a fun project to build. We built a bunch of them. But the margins just, they're not there. That company's not going to pay what we deserve to make a specialty one-off. Right. And we struggle with it. So it's easy to say it. So I'm what did you tell it. this? What did you tell up. that guy that's hungry to do something different that, hey, we can't do that anymore? I, the it's price, not. it's going to be five times the price of what it used to be. If you want to go over and talk to him, they're, they're going to have to pay for it because we have to handhold it, right? So the sure. engineering standpoint, totally. I mean, he's going to have All to handhold that job. Of a, and if of you a one-off, want so to do it, costs. that's just where it's at. Yeah. yeah. Guys, if the biggest headache in our industry is labor and finding talent, what's the second biggest headache? Supply chain? Yeah, yeah exactly. That's it. So with Zometry, there's supplies and supplies flex. And I just want to talk about supplies right now. This is where you can shop thousands of raw materials, stainless steel, acetyl, aluminum. Oh, I just asked, reached out to Zometry not long ago for some aluminum on a quote. Perfect. So go to supplies.zometry.com and shop now. So you have so many stories. We could bring you on 10 times, but the focus of this episode is how he solved the skills gap. So you got involved. You actually created the curriculum around what you do, right? Just been a voice in it. Yeah. I, I don't want to take credit for it, but we were pretty outspoken, but, right? I mean, <laughs> like, like they're building pretty much your type of stuff, right? In the class. Well, yes and no. So other partners that are in there are large power sports folks. You've got OEMs that you'd recognize in automotive that were there yesterday. And you've yeah. got a large construction and aerospace company that are in there. I just want people to be excited about making things. I really do sure. at the core of it. Because we need vendors too. Right. Right. right? But you want like, them to be excited about making things that do more apply to the industry in the area. Because well, when they were just doing pipe welding, it's like, like we kind of joked, you know, go to oil and gas part of the world, right? Well, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, how do you get your pick of the litter? How do you make, let's say, because we have the same challenge at Advance. We have an apprenticeship program. We're working with the high schools. And unfortunately, now our main contact said, hey, I'm not going to send you a kid who I don't think is going to do a good job. And sometimes there's just none of them. He's just like, I don't have anybody. Seriously. Yeah. So what are these kids going to do? So let's say there's 20 boys and girls going through the course and two or three of them have real potential. You know, they have the passion. They've got some skills. They've learned some skills. They want to learn more. How do you get the two or three? You got to be there. Versus like these big companies you're talking about. You got to be present. You got to be there. You got to go do this thing like I'm talking once a month. Sure. We've been there enough. We've got enough of rapport. When I say we... This isn't the talent department. Sure. You don't put HR recruiting on this. No, 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 Okay. No. Maybe if I made a suggestion, you know, you take a page out of EOS and you have a person that buy-in's always been tough. They've been around for a while. They know the shop and you, you start including them in the meetings. We did this and now we've got a all-star type person. You send some of those folks down there. Sure. Right? Let them tell the story and let them recruit. Let them be that point person. And it's just different because the welding instructors are welders that have been working or are still working at companies and, and they talk that language. If you're just a recruiter and you're not down there trying to coach and make the program better, and I'm not talking by donations either. Yawn. Folks, get boring. in there boring. and find a way to make it exciting. Yeah, like you the know? donation doesn't necessarily teach them how to learn the craft. No. It just gives them more money for them to hopefully use that money to find someone who can teach them. So you're saying 
invest your time, which is probably the most valuable resource any of us have. So it is a big commitment. But for you, there was an ROI. There is. Yesterday, I doubled down. I said, look, what storage can provide, I contacted a motorsports, right? I got love off-road trucks. I contacted this guy that builds buggies on West Michigan by the sand dunes. And I said, this, these frames, can we get a chassis to get to the school so that we can get a Volkswagen power plant so that they can build the chassis, weld it up, bolt on parts that are easy to bolt on. It's a real simple project to build. And they can fire it up and drive it around the parking lot. Or they could take it to the Silver Lake Sand Dunes or take it to Holly Oaks mm-hmm. Park. Because the first time for me and Fab that where I got hooked, the piece I missed was that this fella pulls in on this custom motorcycle back in like Jesse James days. And he's got this radical custom chopper. And I'd seen anything like it. I'm like, wow, is that cool? So I built one. And then I got out and you'd ride way too fast. Yeah. Hoping that your welds hold together and every bracket that was made on it. And that just, that is where passion comes from. That's where excitement comes from. So you got to find a way to introduce something in the mix, find your purpose. You might be making CNC machine parts, but those parts are going to some recycling machine that's making some significant impact. And that's the internal cell. And that's the message I think, right? And You've got to get your people seeing that and invite the manufacturer to bring in a product and then take it to a school and say, look, we make this gear, but it goes on this weed harvester or it goes on. I don't know what the parts are, but sure. they're exciting pieces yeah. to got the it. folks that are in that school well, yeah. to tie it all together. I don't think you just caught lightning in a bottle. I think this is something that could be replicated, but it will take the commitment. Another manufacturing leader will have to make the investment to say, hey, look. I'm going to find my local trade school, whatever it might be, trade school, maybe like a community college, like the one nearby that has a technical program specifically for that. I'm going to tell them exactly what skills they would need to graduate kids with for them to be valuable at my company. I'm going to be a part of how they develop that curriculum. And according to what you're saying, there's a really good chance that it could be a talent pipeline into your company if you make that commitment. It has been for us. I just can't reiterate enough. Look, if you go to the ones that are state mandated type programs, there's still great schools. That's the only option you have. Make it work. Go get involved. They're going to be able to take a donation of money or materials or machinery and you get to write it off. Here's the challenge with what I'm talking about. You've got to just truly want to give it up because you can't write off the equipment that goes to a for-profit school. No, sure. But, but the for-profit school can move the curriculum faster. They can pivot and they're going to give you probably more attention in return, sure. right? Because they're not used to that well, stuff the, showing up. Yeah, and th- there's more of a commitment on their end. They're going to have more of an investment in, and not necessarily more, but I think the students that had paid more to go t- to that for-profit education are going to come out a little bit hungrier. I think so, too. Great. So how do we end the show, Jim? Well, my dad used to say 100 years ago, if you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam. Thanks for listening to the Making Chips podcast. Jim and Jason knew that the metalworking nation, the community of world-class makers, needed to commit to a new way of leading to stay ahead of the competition. So, Making Chips was created to fill that void, to give you advice from other manufacturing leaders who can push you to take action. Your manufacturing challenges have a solution. And many of them are at makingchips.com.